This podcast represents the individual opinions of Dr. Dimitri Bick, Dr. Stefan de Graff, Dr. Suzanne Mignon, and the guests. It should not be taken as medical advice or an establishment of standard of care. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Please don't forget to like, follow, and subscribe, but more importantly leave a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Reviews not only help us grow listeners, but also help us grow as a show, improve our content, and make us better. Lego. Hey, I'm really proud of y'all. Montgomery Brawl. Not one but a mall. Montgomery Brawl. Shout out bro that can swim. Montgomery Brawl. Who shit really order them? Montgomery Brawl. Shout out Unk with the chair. Montgomery Brawl. Everybody that was there. Montgomery Brawl. Threw the hat off at the start. Montgomery Brawl. Man, shout out to the girl. Montgomery Brawl. Now y'all done started some so we gon' finish it. And this time, everybody about to witness it. Bro told them to move, just doing this job. But y'all wanted to jump him, so now we got a problem. All right, bet. Let me tell y'all what really happened. Heard they was jumping on my cousin, let me off, cap me off. Cuz came out the water like, let's get it cracking. Unk came with the chair like I got some ass. Cuz came no shirt like I got some ass. I got even the women getting hit like, damn, what happened? Hey, this kind of lit like, damn, it's cracking. I even seen a rock bottom like, damn, this wrestling. Seen a couple of them boys go night night. And we got the first black man to swim to a fight. Salute. If you mad at this song, don't mention me. Don't do it. But that, that chair going down in history. Hey, I'm really proud of y'all. Montgomery Brawl. Not one but a mall. Montgomery Brawl. Shout out bro that can swim. Montgomery Brawl. Who shit really order them? Montgomery Brawl. Shout out Unk with the chair. Montgomery Brawl. Everybody that was there. Montgomery Brawl. Threw the hat off at the start. Montgomery Brawl. Man, shout out to the girl. Montgomery Brawl. Yeah, this is a real good moment in history right now. Let us all smile. <laughs> Uh, this is good this is, this, this is good this is good I, I wouldn't mind having that on my iTunes you know my phone on a, on a repeat this is good it should be it should be your uh, your ringtone yeah the beginning of be, that right? <laughs> gotta, gotta love gotta love black culture man I mean it was that, I mean they put that song in a, in a heartbeat that song was out Oh, yeah, it came out like five minutes or ten minutes after it hit the internet. It it's just crazy. incredible. These guys, I, I don't know who to attribute it to because I I have the account that posted it, but I have no idea who actually who actually created it. Yeah, they definitely need a you know mention in our in, in this episode because wow, I mean the lyrics is actually pretty fun and you know it's, it's ingenious. That's that's awesome. I, I just it's it's so good. It's so good. It says at G G Mac Cash at G Mac Cash. That's the that's the on the video. So so we're gonna we're gonna gonna attribute it. Yeah, we'll we'll mention at Jim whatever Jim Cash. What is it? G Mac Cash. G M A C Cash. Okay. Um, I guess it's on Twitter or instagram or something but that's what it says on the video that's the we'll, we'll watermark give, on the video we'll give him a mention yeah because that, that that's catchy man <laughs> that's fantastic did you do you watch this video I, I watched this video i watched the all the entire videos i saw online the entire week and past week whenever it started i i can't get enough of it man the best part of this video and, and look if you guys haven't seen this thing you absolutely must see this video. I mean, I'm sure pretty much everybody I've seen it. Everybody probably have seen it. 
unless you don't have the internet, you don't have a phone or nothing. But the best part is when the guy is swimming across the canal, there's a little red <laughs> arrow. <laughs> As if we're not going to notice the guy swimming yeah, across swimming. the canal. <laughs> hey, I give him props. He, he jumped, you know, all clothing and everything. He jumped and swimming across it. He wouldn't miss it for anything. There, well, there's a stereotype that that he broke. It's valid. I'm going to speak for majority of black people I know. Um, the stereotype is valid. It's valid. <laughs> uh, I, I don't think. I don't think. I, I may have jumped in a in a in an impulse, but I don't think if I'd sit down, if I'd sat down and thought about it, I probably wouldn't have jumped. Black people are. <laughs> we are. We are swim adverse. Put it that way. I, I respect the water very much. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> there, there's a, the commentary. You got to listen to this commentary. I'm going to play this. This is the commentary of the guy swimming across. Oh my god, that's so funny. The, the commentary just makes the video. So if you haven't seen it, you absolutely have to watch the whole thing. It's about five minutes long. The whole video is five minutes long, cut together from all different angles. It's the best. But it, it underscores like part of the problem in, in this country is this kind of... Well, I mean, let's, it's, the entire thing is funny, but let's not beat around the bush. That, there was a lot of racial... Um, oh my god it was yeah that was a lot it's it's kind of like obvious you know i was asking maria would they have jumped this guy if he was a white guy i don't know i don't don't think so i don't know i don't know that's a good question i don't know if i had to bet money on it i'd say probably no but i I don't i don't know but if you have betting money i'll say no but it turned into uh, it turned into 150 years of anger Right. It's, it's what is it, Alabama? Alabama. Montgomery, right. Alabama. <laughs> and, and, and poor guy. He was judging his job. You know, I mean, I, I, I don't That's know right. what was said. I don't know what was said and happened before we started seeing the footage. I mean, before that, that interaction with the with the border and, and uh, I guess the, the guy working the dock. But regardless of what was said, it clearly it seems like he was telling him to move away or to not park or to, to, to just like, you know, move the boat. And I guess they didn't like they, they didn't like that direction they, they received from from somebody working. They didn't I guess they didn't like a black guy telling them not to stay there. And whether alcohol was involved, you know, it's not, it's not oh, possible. It people could, couldn't have not been involved, right? Right. I, I could see people boating and getting getting trashed and you know not listening to you know direction and, and rules and wanting to break rules because they have they feel like the privilege maybe and they decided to jump the guy because he said you cannot stay there. And it was a group of four or five people and one one black guy, you know. And I could see what the anger, you know. I don't I don't condone violence, but I could see exactly where the anger would come from. A black a group of black people seeing one of theirs getting beat down, getting jumped by another group of white I, people. I don't so, blame them at all. No, so, somebody had to defend them. Somebody had to defend them, right? The only thing I'm going to say is I think the chair was unnecessary. Yes, yes, that that that's should be out then that 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 guy should go to jail that guy should be charged for assault and battery with a deadly weapon now it shares a deadly weapon now you have to have a licensed carry chair around now yeah you know <laughs> that's among, that's in a, uh, alabama i don't think right. you need a license to carry anything i, I don't know i, I could well, be wrong about that yeah fair enough 
In Florida, you don't. So why not in Alabama? <laughs> why not in chair, right? Why not in Alabama? But yeah, that's an assault on a deadly weapon. That poor woman got got her, her face plastered, plastered, you know, plowed whatever you want to use, with a chair. Well, he was arrested. You can see that in the video. As soon as he did that, the cops as came over. As it should be. As it but should those, be. those white people were arrested too, and they deserved it too, because there's no reason to start a fight like that. And apparently what happened, and this is my understanding of what happened, is there's a, there's a steamboat that needed to park there, and they were in the okay. way. Right. And all the guy was doing was asking them to move it. And like, how are we in a place right now where like the guy asks you to move your boat so that the steamboat, which is belongs there, is supposed to be there. And your reaction is, no, I'm not moving it. Right. No, I'm not moving it and get out of my face. And, and I'm going to. Right. And let, let me add that the, the worker is wearing a uniform. So you, you you can't you can't pretend that you don't know the guy's doing his job. He's got the authority of telling you what not to park or to move away. He's yeah. not gonna do one. It it's unfortunate, but it's also like hilariously funny. They're, they're calling them the Black Avengers. <laughs> they're, they're, they're all assembled. Black Avengers assembled. Black Avengers assemble. <laughs> I can't, I can't get enough of it. Yeah. No, no, it's unfortunate. We, 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 if we take a little bit of seriousness out of it, with all the racial um, stuff in America happening, it's unfortunate that it happened. But it's also uh, some some part of me is uh, I'm I'm glad it was on on video. You know, I'm, and I'm I'm glad the entirety of it was the entirety of it. Yeah. I didn't the the second half because I, I'll I'll share with you the first video I've seen was the second half of it. That's the first day I I saw the second half where bunch of black people are fighting with other white people okay so there was no explanation to it there was nothing and people you know were, were able to make that one judgment then then the full video came out and you saw exactly what started everything and the entire story changed you know so i'm glad I, I'm, I'm i'm thankful for videos for cell phone nowadays because you know the 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 truth will set you free that's right. <laughs> it started for a reason. It wasn't just a bunch of people just fighting for right. no reason. Oh well. Well, Montgomery. What is it? Montgomery brawl. The I'm Montgomery be, brawl. I'm gonna be in my in my in my sixties, seventies, and it's gonna be in history books some, somewhere. You know, I don't know. That's right. It's gonna be movies. There's gonna be a movie about about it. And this uh, video and this song is gonna end it. You uh, see the Johnny Manziel untold? I did. I did. Netflix, right? Yeah, I did. Yeah. What'd you think? I thought um, there's a lot of stuff that I thought I knew. That was because obviously in the past few years when he was playing, his life was on the tabloids every single day. I mean, I don't think he had any privacy. Um, but I, I'm not sure if the word shocked is what I would use. But I, I was, I was delighted to see how much insight he had at that time. But still going through it through through the motion. 
it seems like he understood the idea of some trouble when particularly when he talking about his times in Cleveland, he mentioned some things that may have seemed like some symptoms of, if you will, depression. And then he also knew he was self-medicating. So at some point, you could tell that he had some insight into his mental health. Obviously not coping in the right way with the right um, um, means. But um, and fast forward to now, you could you could sense the sense of maturity and, and the looking back and, and see how Seemingly, it seems to be at peace with, you know, um, not, maybe not, not at peace, but accepting of how his career or the lack thereof um, turned out. But I thought he was good. I thought he was good. I honestly, I, I, I kind of wish that he went, he talked more about his diagnosis. He didn't have to, that's his own privacy. But I felt like uh, there, there, could, there could have been more meat on the bone. Um, when he spoke about diagnosis that he had received and, and treatment that he had he had been um, prescribed, did you watch him play when he was playing? Yeah, I, I watched him when he was when he was in college, and and, and I, I did. He didn't play much in Cleveland, obviously, but um, yeah, I did, I did. Yeah, he played two years at Texas A and M, and he had crazy stats. He, he crazy was sensational. Stats. He was he was he was a. I remember he was a star. The guy was hanging out with hip hop hip hop stars. He was everywhere on TV. Like he was. He was bigger than the game. He was bigger than school. Yeah, and he I was. Remember. It all started after they beat Alabama, which uh, made me very happy because I hate Alabama. Yes. But yeah, so. but but after that, his his entire life blew up. He became basically a celebrity and not really yeah. a football player. Although um, the next year when he came back, his stats were even better, yeah. and that's how he vaulted up the the charts. Right. But then all of his problems caused him not to. Right. So he started drafting I mean, in the draft. Could you imagine if, according to what he, the way he told his story, could you imagine if this guy was really, really caring about his fitness, about working out, about tape, about not drinking and playing hungover? Could you imagine how good it would be? Because it was sensational. I'm going to get this out of the way real quick. I didn't think he was going to be an NFL quarterback. I thought he was a college quarterback, and he was a fantastic college quarterback. When you're running around against 18, 19, and 20-year-olds, uh, and you're faster than everyone. You can do he that. Beat, he beat Alabama by himself. It doesn't matter. I by himself. He, to me, I I never thought he was going to be an NFL quarterback because he was too small. His Wikipedia lists him as f- six feet. No, he's five ten, five eleven. I remember. Like I remember him being something like five ten from when he was in college. And I right. I made I actually made a bet, and I feel bad about saying this now after watching Untold, but. Because now I know why I won this bet, but I made a bet with Maria's cousin that he would be out of the league in two years. He would he would either be out of the league or he'd be like a backup journeyman somewhere. And he thought he was going to be the next great quarterback in the NFL. He's going to have a long career. He's going to be fantastic. He was going to be Randall Cunningham, the white Randall Cunningham. And I'm like, there's no way. He's way too small. He's just too small. When you look at the NFL quarterbacks, except for Doug Flutie, how many NFL quarterbacks are his size? That are what's his name? The, the Philadelphia quarterback. I'm looking out. What's his name? Um, the one from Alabama. The one from Al- Jalen Hurts. The one from Alabama. Jalen Hurts. There you go. Speaking of Alabama, Jalen Hurts. I was looking out. Jalen Hurts is pretty, pretty short, right? What, what is it? Like five ten two? Probably shorter. I don't think so. He's six one according to Wikipedia. Oh, look, look at that. He looks so small on the, on the, on the pitch. Who knows with Wikipedia? Because they're listing Jenny Manziel as six feet tall. But I'm, you know, I'm going to look somewhere else and see. Pro, pro Football Reference has him at six one. 
uh, his the Eagles site has him as six one. So let's just assume he's six one and that's accurate. So six one and and five ten are not the same thing. No, you you could tell the the guy he had he had aptitudes right. You could tell that he was going somewhere. I mean, come on, he, he, that's he the, that's the issue. Doug Foody was five ten and he he did it. But the reason I didn't think he was going to be good was one his size. I didn't think he was going to be very good at his size, plus right. all of the off field stuff because right. that stuff we knew. I, I I think I think the only reason that he did not. He did not end up being a, a very good quarterback. It's because of his off of, of the field issues. I, I think he never really wanted to be. He had the he had the skill. He never really put into it. You know, he and he said it. He said once he left college, when he once left flat town, he didn't care for for professional football. So you know the 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 nightlife style, the drugs and alcoholism, and then you know the breaking the rules and and getting into you know um, pre draft workout hungover. I mean that that's self sabotaging, you know. But he did great in in the in the pre draft workout. To and my the point, to my point, imagine imagine if that guy had slept, you know, a good ten hours a night before and had his receivers with him. There, there's a there's a section in the the story yeah, on Netflix right, where right. they they ask him or somebody asks him, "Do you want to be a celebrity or do you want to be an athlete or do you want to be a quarterback or something like that?" I don't remember what his answer was. Uh, if they even gave an answer, but it seemed Maybe. like he rather wanted to be a celebrity rather than he probably said something he's a regular celebrity. I mean, that I, I, I thought he was so arrogant. He probably probably said he was a regular celebrity, which would have been true. And and the thing is, if he loved, he didn't really love college either because he left after two years. He no 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 no. You know, I'm glad you you, you bring this he, point because he, that, like, he hated the NCAA. Besides besides the mental health part that we we ought to discuss. There was another episode that we had a few, a couple of months back. We talked about NCAA and, and you know, and paying or not paying um, athletes. So the reason that he left NCAA, the reason that he actually said he didn't like it, it's because Alabama was building a new stadium out of, out of his back. You know, they they were selling his jerseys for the millions. Not Alabama, you know, Texas A&M. Oh, sorry, sorry. Texas, Texas A&M, right. Texas, were, they were building a new building. And... He couldn't get one dollar as a you know as a face of the, the entire. Right. So if you want to go back to a few months when we talk about it, he and his friend decided that he'll make money, you know, and they, they started you know dealing his his uh, autographs, and the guy became seemingly a millionaire, right? At what? What? He was eighteen, nineteen then, something like that. Yeah. It's funny enough, he was drinking in every single bar he went on national television. Nobody ever recorded him. Yeah. Nobody ever signed him yeah. with, with um, drinking in the age. Um, but that's because that's part. what happens in celebrity. It doesn't really that's matter what how old you are as long but, as you're seen so, at our bar. But if you pay attention, this this uh, this Netflix documentary, it's it's two part. It's one part mental health and one part what the NCAA, you know, is as a business and what. I'm not. I'm not saying that that's the reason he, he acted the way he acted, but it was a huge part of it that you know he really and he said it. He realized that he was going to go in a fight against NCAA and and you know trying to get his you know getting paid for his likeness. Fast forward to now, you have the NIL deals that athletes can make money out. Right. I was going to say, like, can you imagine what would happen now? He would have been normal was, for him. He he would have been he would be making more than some NFL players. It of would course, be, of course. And the question is, would he be that way if he wasn't 
upset at no, the NCAA no, for not no, letting no. it be that way. No, I, I think I think he said it himself. I think he said in, in the piece that he didn't find any joy as a professional athlete. He didn't find the the camaraderie, and then he, he felt like I think he said something like he felt like um, NFL was too strict. There was no fun out of it. Where in college, he was a king in college. He was he was going in frat parties the night before games. You can't do that when, when you're playing for the NFL. You know, you have an agent with you 24-7. You have, you have PR people with you 24-7. What I was asking was if, if, he, if he had these NIL deals, he wouldn't need right. to fly to Miami to get $30,000 to sign football. So you say, you're saying that they, they may have been able to contain him? Okay. So, well, so the thing is he, he was diagnosed with bipolar disorder, according to him. According to him. Spoiler alert. If you haven't watched this, well, we, we can get into it. They gave him a diagnosis of bipolar disorder. I'm not sure if it's the right one, but we can get to that later. I'm not sure that's what really. Why, why, why? How can you diagnose somebody with bipolar disorder when they're telling you they've been on, on oxy, on cocaine, on alcohol, LSD for the past year and a half or two years that he wasn't he wasn't pro or even college? He was diagnosed in 2018, I think, is what they said right. in the uh, in the episode, right. and. In 2018, he all right. We didn't interview him, but let's let's assume for a second that he came to the psychiatrist and he was sober, or sober month or two, whatever. And Uh he starts giving his background. How do you differentiate between someone who's manic secondary to substance use and primary bipolar disorder? You get the history and you find out that they were acting this way. They were acting manic prior, prior and, to substance use, right? Well, not just we prior, don't. but at, at any time yeah. when he wasn't doing it, right? So yeah, there had to be psychoactive, that's right. psychoactive substance, right? So the question was when you were when you were not drinking and when you were not doing drugs during that period, you know, in your life, have you ever had issues with grandiosity? Uh, increase in speech, increase in goal-directed right. activity. If if he had those any four of those symptoms, so it's we can go through them. It's distractibility, right. de- de- decreased need for sleep, like you're not tired, you don't you don't need to sleep. Increased activity, uh, increased speech, hypersexuality. Well, that's listed under like behavior that could get you in trouble. Right, right. Risky I, and I can right. pull out the DSM. Our, I don't know if you guys did this in residency, but we had an acronym, Dig Fast. Yeah, we had Dig Fast, yeah. And the T in Dig Fast is thoughtless acts, which are things that are fun but can get you in trouble, and you do them despite getting in trouble. And drug use is something that would be in that realm. So a lot of bipolars yeah. use drugs to either self-medicate or because it gives them more manic symptoms. Which, which is what's, what's fun in psychiatry, right? They, they give you a, an amalgam of, of, of symptoms and you as a professional, you have to kind of find out what would be attributed to a substance, what would be attributed to a prior underlying uh, mental health condition and what, what, what is personality, right? So a lot of, which is, we might want to discuss some cluster B with Johnny Menzel as well, because he, he, he used the words you know, profusely that he was, Self sabotaging, but we don't have to diagnose them with a cluster B, and that's where we play, and that, and, and that's where we play the Goldwater, the Goldwater rule. That's where we play. Do we have? Do we have to play that? Okay, let, we let's do, do that. Goldwater, if we're discussing Menzel cluster B possible diagnosis, because we have not seen the guy, we have not um, analyzed okay. him. Let, let's play it. 
Let's play it. Hold on. Go for it. <laughs> oh boy. And then we'll go into the Some rules weren't meant to be broken. But what if they're just guidelines? Time for gold water. Rules! Okay. I think we're good yeah, now. So so gold water, I was saying we're not diagnosing Johnny Manzar with anything. That's right. We're going we're going on a bit of what he said on his on his, on his except by polar, which he he Which said, he said that, he is. that he received. He didn't say he, he, he won. He said he received the diagnosis. Of he received that diagnosis. So we're not. We're not so, going to assume that it's correct. Or yeah. So let, let's go very simple in layman terms. Like you said, dig fast. I mean, it's a very nice acronym, right? Um, that you can, you know, have uh, the the most, I guess, prominent uh symptoms in bipolar disorder, and the D stands for disability, which you mentioned. Disability could could look like anything. You know, you can't stay on task. You can't. You, you can't be redirected to anything. You're very, um, I guess you have a lot of ideas, which is also one of the letters. And the second one is impulsivity. You know, you don't think, you do, you have reckless behaviors. And in, into impulsivity, there's an umbrella underneath. You could have hypersexual behaviors. You could have um, spending sprees, you know, blasting like a credit card, flying across state, you know, ending up in Miami when you left New York last night, on, you know, on a, on a, on a manic, on a manic fugue. The I that you learned was impulsivity. The I that I yeah. learned was increased activity, increase in goal directed activity. Right. It, it, it's well, I'm gonna keep going. Okay. That we learn differently. Right, go ahead. And then the, the the G. So we did D for destructibility, I for impulsivity, G for grandiosity. Obviously, right. believing that you're you're over the over over the top of the world. You know, you don't you don't follow rules. That you even sometimes you think you're godlike. Right. Um, you have power sometimes that you can fly or whatnot. And then the F is for five of ideas, where you talk right. about so many topics at the same time, you can't stay on topic, and your your mind just race from one topic to the next. You can't really stay on anything. And then the A, the A I have in mind is activity increase, or and you had it in the I as increased activity. Activity increase mean coming, you know, oftentimes people that are manic, they'll they'll start doing several things. I've had patients, you know, not sleeping at night and creating a business in, over overnight, creating a, a website or writing a book. Which is very common, or cleaning the house at three in the morning, start painting the walls at you know overnight, you know, and doing different things that you don't have to do overnight. And in the S, it's I have it as sleep difficulty, but it's not really right because the manic person does not have difficulty for sleep. They don't need to sleep. They don't feel like they're tired. Whereas sleep difficulty would, would be insomnia, where you're struggling to fall asleep, like you 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 want to sleep but you can't. But the manic person, they don't even feel they need to be they need to be safe. They're like very, very active, very energized, um, and anybody at home can't sleep because of them, right? Because the behavior right, right. is right. So what's the T then? The T is talkativeness, which is what we called in in you know in more um, scientific terms, hyperverbal speech. You know, pressured speech when you cannot interrupt the patient or the person that you're talking to, and um, you know, rambling nonstop. You know, fast, rapid, okay. pressured right. speech. I, I said I was increased activity, but I was increased speech, and then T was the thoughtless act. So I, I had it. I we we learned them backwards, but it's the same same symptoms, right? But that being said, to 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 will it back to Johnny Menzel? I'm not sure we saw that. To be fair, and I always tell people in my office when I see people in the office when they're stable, obviously when they can have that kind of insight, I tell them. If they, you know, when you when you ask a question in, a, in an evaluation, you want to know if somebody has been hypomanic or manic. I've always asked them, have you end up in a hospital while you think you're manic or hypermanic, or have you end up in jail? And because a manic symptom, a manic episode will will lead you either in three places, in a hospital, alive, in a hospital, in a morgue, or in, in prison. Because you're so manic wow. that your behavior is so reckless 
you to crush a car. We're talking about so severe. Like he, right? He maybe you know, there's forward. there's different levels of mania, right? So there's psychothymia. There's there's bipolar two. Yeah, maybe it was bipolar two. And then there's three different levels of bipolar. There's mild, moderate, and severe, and then severe with psychotic features. There's so many different levels of it. Don't even get me started on what I think about bipolar two, <laughs> because I think I think that there's a little too many. Right. As, as someone who's experienced in seeing what bipolar looks like, I think right. there's a little too many bipolar type diagnoses. But yeah. if you look at his, if you look at his behavior, on when he was in practice, he would, I mean, he said himself, and again, we don't have any audio from this because it's a Netflix documentary. Right. But Gold I check, believe he check. said that he was difficult to wrangle in during practices too. He didn't like practices. He well, didn't I, show I, I, up to you know, some of them. Well, that's another parenthesis. I, I, I really thought when he was talking about himself in the in the piece on, the, on Netflix, I thought he had some ADHD features to him. You know, that, that kid that really cannot be ringed in, to use your word, he couldn't be really settled. He was always doing something different. Like he, he was always hyperactive. You know, I thought he, he had some ADHD features to him. And, and for okay. enough, there's, there's a school of thought that says, ADHD and bipolar on the, on the same spectrum, right? Okay, uh, so he, okay. So I was going to ask you, how do you differentiate between the two in your practice? How do you differentiate between bipolar disorder mania in a hyperactive, a severe hyperactive ADHD and say like a cluster B? Right, so that's a great question. So I, I'll refer back to the DSM. The DSM-5 loves to, t- to, to throw away the specifiers of, of time, right? Bipolar manic episode, you have to have that at least 10 to 15 days, which is to say two weeks of, of symptoms. Cluster Bs or uh, personality, the mood lability, the mood fluctuation, right? The the bipolar people say, oh, I'm bipolar, I'm, I'm I'm happy today, I'm I'm sad tomorrow. No, you're not bipolar. You might have mood lability. You have what we call inability to regulate emotions, you know, emotion dysregulation, dysregulated, whatever they call it. What about rapid cycling bipolar? It's not in a day. Rapid second bipolar. What's the definition? Is is four? Is four or more episode of of bipolar mania or bipolar depression within a year? That's the definition of bipolar rapid second type. Um, cluster Bs. The mood fluctuation is within the days, and if it lasts more than a week, then you can go into uh, a primary underlying mood disorder like bipolar disorder. Um, and for ADHD. The mood lability is more so irritability. It's not necessarily mood lability. It's irritability is low frustration tolerance and uh, being impulsive, um, being hyperactive, and sometimes getting into trouble when you're in school, for example, um, when you're in class and you can you can pay attention and because you're hyperactive. Then kids get wrongly diagnosed. Oftentimes, you know, I've seen kids diagnosed at you know nine years old, ten years old, eleven, twelve, thirteen with bipolar disorder, which is wrong. You know, which is, which I, I believe it's, it's not right, you know. Well, um, okay. Neither one of us is a child psychiatrist, so. Right. No, I, I, it's a spectrum. So to go back, we're not drifting because I, I, I love this topic, but Minzel, he, you're right. He, he had some mood lability and he had some, you know, features of. Some of mood lability? He had a lot of mood lability. I'll tell you how I differentiate it. Uh, it's sleep. It's a simple thing as sleep. So when I okay. see someone that comes in and tells me that they're they're you know have difficulty with thought containing their thoughts and they move a lot and they they do all these things, the first thing I ask them is 
how many hours do you sleep? Because if I say, how do you sleep? And you ask a manic person, how do you sleep? They say, I sleep great. I sleep great. And then you ask them how many hours they sleep. And they're like, two to three hours. Doesn't everybody sleep two to three hours? Like who needs, who needs more sleep? So you can't ask them, how do you sleep? You ask them, how many hours do you get? And you, at ADHD, people tell you they have, they get eight hours, six to eight hours. They sleep perfectly fine. They might get up to go to the bathroom. They come back, they fall right back asleep. ADHD people sleep. Bipolar right. people do not sleep. Two things that I found that are almost pathognomonic for bipolar is the decreased need for sleep mm-hmm. and the the complete denial that they're manic. Right, right. They have zero insight. Complete zero insight. denial. And they feel great. They feel great. Whereas ADHD patients tend to realize what they're doing is detrimental to them. It's They don't want to be this way. They don't like right. being hyperactive. And, and speaking of, of, of pathognomonic, um, in bipolar, I, I don't think very. If I have it, very, very rarely. But I don't think I've seen a manic person without a speech um, symptoms, without a speech um, impediment, um, rapid speech or hyperverbal, yeah, or a thought process being tangential or circumstantial. I, I've not seen it. Whereas I have seen people that are in crisis of the cluster B personality, whether it is borderline or whatnot, or histrionic. They are profusely talking, but they're not necessarily tangential or circumstantial. And That's you right. can interrupt them. So, um, right. yeah, speaking of, and, and I don't think now, so I'm going to put the ball back in your court. I don't think I've, 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 I've any, never seen any footage of Minzel being, having a speech, you know, impediment. Whereas I could see, I've seen um, Antonio Brown, we've seen Antonio Brown uh, on, live, on live television being rambling and being rapid speech and being tangential yeah. and something sense. Yeah, but, That's a but Jenny Menzel didn't really... When he was going through all of this, Twitter had just started, and I don't even think Instagram was out yet. Because I, I, when did Instagram start? But but it started in 2016. But again, the famous, the most famous DSM five criteria is the diagnosis cannot be in the in a you know in a context of concomitant substance use disorder. Right. Correct. So, and, and that's story, that's much more difficult to to discern because you have to have discern, a period right, right. where they're sober and still acting this way, right? And right. and that's the question. So, and seemingly he was. But the thing is, did he go to these places while he was manic, and then he was drinking and doing the drugs to either slow himself down or make himself more because he liked that behavior? He said it. He said he was doing you know all of the he was doing alcohol, he was doing oxy, he was doing cocaine and benzos since he was in college throughout his entire college in, in frat life. And the reason I think that it's correct is because he had the depressive episode. Because when people are to get bipolar disorder diagnoses, the only thing you need is the mania, which which sounds weird because yes, then it would yes. be unipolar <laughs> unipolar mania. Unipolar but mania, but, right. but the assumption is that the depression is on the way. It's coming. right, right. It's, it's it's until until it happens, right? That's right. Until it happens, Whereas, it's not there, but it yeah. will happen. And and look, it happened to him, right? Because he got very down. No, he described the symptoms without saying after he left. Yeah. You know, he just he described them, and he he described. And we should talk about this because it was a topic last week or last show. The suicide attempt. Yeah, yeah, he had a. It it was in the show. It was almost a throwaway line. It was, I did this, the gun clicked. I don't know what happened. And then they moved on. And I would have loved to know more about how that came about. That's why I said I felt like they could have been more mean on the bone. But that's up to him. You know, I'm not going to tell 
I'm not gonna say that he should have discussed his suicide attempt more in depth. That's up to him, you know. Um, maybe he didn't but, want uh, to talk about it. Maybe, maybe it's triggering for him, you know. That I couldn't understand that as well. Um, but uh, and he did say to to start the topic. He, he did say that he had bought a gun, you know, months or years prior. It was a knowing, plan, knowing that eventually he would use it. And his plan was to blow his entire money away, spend how much money he could. And he had spent millions in a night. Knowing that down the road, when the bank account says zero, that was the day he would be ready to, to pull the trigger. And apparently, he did pull the trigger and the, the gun you know, got jammed up. And that's when, you know, I guess he had a second chance. But now I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a caveat and maybe complicate this a little bit. A lot of time, if you're an active substance user, the withdrawal symptoms might look like a primary diagnosis, right? If you withdraw it from, from stimulants that seemingly was on cocaine for you know, months. Correct. It, it, yes. it could look like depression. I'm not saying he wasn't depressed. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not discrediting his, his account. Correct. But if you want to be scientific or fair about things, if he's, if he's withdrawing from substances, he will have sense of depression. You, he will be, or that he or and she you don't, will right. be. And you don't even have to, right. you don't even have to withdraw from them because alcohol, as you use it more often, as you use it more and more will cause depression it's a depressant and then you know once you once you blow out all your serotonin receptors and dopamine receptors with cocaine and and stimulants you, you're gonna end up depressed the higher the, the higher you go the harder to fall like when when you're high on cocaine for like for like a weekend you, I, I can i can guarantee you monday and tuesday won't be fun yeah and there's evidence that the more you do those drugs the less likely you are to actually recover from depression because you you've basically fried your right you fried your, your the dopamine receptors exactly all the pathways all the 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 well mesolimbic if we're going to go it's more more in depth mesolimbic would be more the the psychotic behaviors but the the frontal the frontal area right the frontal, frontal temporal area of the brain is where you have all your affective um, um you know effect from you know stimulants and and antidepressants so when you to your point. When you've been doing cocaine and frying your, your dopamine pathway in the frontal, frontal temporal areas, you have complete circulation. When you remove that 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 often that stimulant, and then you you expecting to feel normal with no drugs, it's quite impossible. You know that, that's different. You you would have to see a doctor and be on medication to try to have a balance out the the neurotransmitters. I do want to point this out, and this is part of what we were talking about last week when we were talking about suicide and, and uh -huh. nomenclature and things like that. I receive an APA headline through email that said that US suicide rates hit all time highs last year. What is it? So, US what is it? US suicide rate? US suicides hit all time high, all -time high. last year. After COVID, right? The twenty twenty two. And okay. according to this said According to the AP, uh, the AP, forty nine thousand five hundred people committed suicide. Or are we doing commit, or are we doing um, died by suicide? I, I'll say died by suicide instead of committing. Okay. I'll stick to the forty nine thousand five hundred people died, died by, by suicide. suicide last year in the U.S., which is the highest number ever. Yeah, the suicide rate hasn't been calculated, so I misspoke. Or it's not a rate; it's a number. And so that's that's prevalence. That's prevalence. Prevalence is the amount of cases in a point of time. Right. Correct. And suicides are more common in the US than any time since the dawn of World War II. CNN said suicide 
rose to the 11th leading cause of death in 2021, and provisional data shows the same in 2022. Firearms were involved in more than half of them in 2022, and the greatest, and this is according to ABC News, the greatest increase was seen among adults age 65 and older, which was up 8.1% from 2021. The second highest increase was 45 to 64, up 6.6%. And there was an increase of people between ages 25 and 44, but that number was up 0.7%. So it was up yeah. across the board for adults. That's pretty, that's pretty alarming. That's pretty alarming. Yeah. And so the question is why? I don't know. I mean, the, it, it sounds like without any scientific data to back that up, it sounds like uh, this generation or nowadays people feel hopeless. You know, nobody, I mean, that, that's basically what suicide is, right? You feel hopeless. There's no way you can, you, you hope for a better future and then that's the only way out. So is it an effect of the way things are as a country or as, as a world? I don't know. Um, you mentioned the US. I'm not sure if the US seems more grim now than it did. For example, we mentioned World War II than it was in World War II. So if you're comparing the, the time in World War II and the time now, I would probably say being World War II might have looked like no future for anybody, right? Um, so I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe maybe yeah. it's a it's a it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a confounded factors. You know, there, um, there's a lot of factors into it. There's there's social media and kids are you know affected more so with the bullying and whatnot, and people are have much more issues with coping nowadays than they did um, 50, 60 years ago. Fifty years ago, what we could cope with was probably more than what you can cope with now because nobody has any coping skills. Nobody, nobody was taught to endure, you know, stressors when, you know, when they go to school, everybody's on the phone. Everybody's and I think that there's part of it is I think the lack of access to, to be honest with but, you, but, I, but, I have but, a, but, I have a bone, yeah. I have a huge bone to pick with the healthcare industry. Yes. There's lack of access, but, but there is lack of access, but you cannot deny that it's improving. It has improved. The access you have now is not the access you had 50 years ago. Right, we look at us doing a mental health podcast. You didn't have that fifty years ago. We didn't talk mental health. You didn't have podcasts at all fifty years ago. <laughs> but it was my point is mental health discussion wasn't something you you would see on TV or you would hear on the radio. It was something that you you discuss in the privacy of you and your doctors. So it wasn't something. It was taboo. It was something that people would talk and have Netflix episode about their own struggles fifty years ago. You know, so I feel like access now. Okay, let's let's say access. Let's say let's say um, insight and 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 information is, is better now than it was, you know. Yeah. And, and look, access is better because of telehealth stuff. But I, I the reason I said access is because it's a healthcare problem. Uh, just recently, I think in the last, I don't know, seven years or something, mental health professionals, psychiatrists are supposed to get paid the same as primary care physicians, uh, primary carers. And right. they're considered now primary care in some way. It's some Places specialist, yeah, but yeah. but that kind of access. If you you know, I I posted a meme on Instagram that said you can't have a mental illness if your psychiatrist doesn't take your insurance, which is which is funny, but it's almost true. It's almost like true. If right, people right. if people don't have it, and it's happened in my practice where people have come in with insurance, and we've tried to verify it, and we've realized that they don't actually have mental health benefits. And so they have to pay self-pay rates, and they're right. like, oh, "I'm not doing that." Well, well, um, I, I, and I don't blame them; it's expensive. 
the 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 states have been trying to fix that with the the new what do you call it, the integrative model of care, where they have psychiatrists being coupled with primary care physician in an outpatient office because they want to increase access, for example. And there's different reason why integrative um, model of care is, is you know is the best way to go with mental health because you know you put down the stigma. People say they're going to go to the primary care physician, but at the same time, you know they shut their office with a psychiatrist, right? And then if you go to a different, if you compare to non-integrative, you have to go to a primary care physician, then you get a referral to go to a psychiatrist. Then the insurance can be an issue, or then the person doesn't get access because they don't want to go to a mental health clinic. Right. Yeah. So it's it's a different, different factors. And and getting back to Johnny Menzel, we don't really yeah. know the reasons that he went down that path, but when you're super depressed and you hate where you are, and he mentioned that he wanted, he did whatever he could to get out of Cleveland. When you're in that position and you see no way out, you know, your career is kind of ending, Cleveland is done with you, but what else do you have? Because no one else is going to yeah. touch you for these reasons. Yeah. You can yeah. see where he went down that where he went down that path. I, I think I mean the, the 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 biggest thing I'd say from 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 an outside looking in, a big canvas, I guess the point I, I, I took away from from his um you know documentary is that which i don't know this is just an assumption i don't know i have not seen the guy personally i have not interviewed him it seems like like to your point he might have been dealing with mental health his entire teenage years and he was self-medicating so to speak with football with his circle of friends with the frat life lifestyle you know being the number one guy having people around him all the time overcompensating for what he had to do with you know and then transitioning from you know, being just a school a school student to being a fandom, a, a celebrity, then you get access to all kinds of drugs and all kind of, you know, illusions that life is great and, and everything. And you never actually get down to what what caused you to to go to do drugs, right? And then I guess getting into NFL, to paraphrase what he said, is that he didn't feel like he had the same kind of fulfillment compared to college. He was not that person that people gravitated around to. He was not with his best friend. He was not in frat parties every single night. He was just work, work, work. And that's when seemingly football wasn't fun anymore. And that's when he, he went down the slope. Um, again, self-medicating with with um, alcohol and, and drugs um, to the point that he went to rehab several times. He went to therapists, he went to psychiatrists, got diagnosed with a few different diagnoses, got medication, and now I guess in a good place, he's in a good place in his life, um, I guess. It might have been a different story if he had seen a psychiatrist early on or a therapist early on to understand his behavior and 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 get to the bottom of why he's acting the way he's acting. Why why do you think at 18 you need to have that kind of behavior to to feel fulfilled? Right? What is missing in your life that you think that's why you have to that's what you have to do to feel like you fulfilled? What is the reason? Was he doing anything different than any other college frat kid other than the fact that he was super famous and he's super famous 18 but he said he, he said it he, he said it actually he said he never felt he was ever enough he was spending a million dollars at 20 years old but he never felt he was enough he was chasing something that he didn't know he was he was flying across state with his best friend and then coming back to school for for a game tomorrow and he never felt he was enough he was always chasing something and he said it he didn't know where to stop right and i think it's i think the NCAA, his hatred of the NCAA is valid because right. again, and we, we mentioned this earlier, if he was able to get NIL deals nowadays, I don't necessarily think that this would have ended the same way. I, I really right. honestly don't because 
he had to go and fly to these places and do this stuff. And then he's already there and he's getting a bunch of cash. What are you going to do with it as an 18 and 19 yeah, year old yeah, kid? Yeah, but if he yeah, had yeah. NIL deals. And we know, we know what, we know what we said, what we said last time, a few, few weeks ago when he had the NIL, we said that if NCAA would give these kids the money that they deserve, but also give them access to financial counseling, give them access to mental health care. Right. Maybe if he had that, maybe if he had that, you know, Getting the money and getting access to mental health, getting access to financial planning, maybe would not be, you know, what his career ended up to be, you know, because seemingly, and his, his parents, I kind of like, I, I love the way he interacted with his dad, but it kind of like, um, um, there was a, a they let, he never said it, but it, it seemed like his parents never really had a say in what he was doing. They never, it didn't look like his father, his mother had any influence on him whatsoever at 18. And that's the diagnosis that he got. Maybe Which, who knows bipolar. Maybe that's right because you know that that when you're when you're in a manic state, you don't nothing. There's nothing. Nobody can tell you anything. But okay. he's in a good place, and that's in a good place. And I, like I, like I always say, and you know, we are very you know glad that somebody like like him, which is stature, which is following, um, he's willing to discuss the struggle, you know, public sphere and and discuss mental health and making you know being selfless and you know, put the put their life out there, and you know, it, it it helps. You know, the the effort of destigmatizing uh, mental health and mental health care. So, yeah, and maybe maybe one day we can get him on this show, and he can tell us firsthand. If you ever if you ever hear this episode, um, he's he can be with us whenever he wants. He can be like open, you know, open invitation, open invitation, whatever he wants, whenever he wants. So, yeah, Johnny, come on our show. Dr. Brittany Stallworth, also known as Dr. Fitbrit on Instagram. Really happy to have you here. This is a perfect place to talk about uh, fitness and mental health. I uh, the topic that I really love because I really like the gym and weightlifting. So this is this is perfect for me. Uh, just reading about you, you are from Detroit and you went to Howard undergrad. You went to Wayne State for medical school. And now you are a third-year resident at Morehouse School of Medicine. And I just want to point something out here. Morehouse School of Medicine still has you as a PGY2. They will eventually update the way. They have to. They have to. Yeah. Shout out to Morehouse. Shout out to Morehouse. Hey, I've met Brittany like this year. When was it? Was it May? Something yeah. like that. I went to a conference that uh, Morehouse invited uh, me over. They had a nice conference about diversity inclusion in the black community and, and having more psychiatrists in the black community and, and it was amazing and i had the chance to meet the beautiful people uh at morehouse and the residents and and Brittany was there and Brittany gave a, a amazing talk about mental health and, and fitness and this is why she's with us today and hopefully more people can be influenced by her experience and her knowledge because that's why she is an influencer now so yeah. Right. So thank you for being with us. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. Yeah. Is there anything that you wanted to add that I didn't add on your bio? Um, no, I think that's okay. You know, I think that sounds good. I like perfume. 
background, but otherwise. Yeah, tell me about that. You know, I, I follow Brittany on, on social media, and I think that I do not know that you have, uh, is it a hobby about perfume, or is it a business, or what is it? Like, you, you can't possibly use all of them. Um, not in this lifetime, but, but <laughs> share them. And so I collect them. Uh, and I also break down bigger bottles into smaller bottles for people to purchase so they can try different scents. Um, but fragrance is one of those things. It's like, I smell it and it's not, I'm not having a seizure when I say this, but then I can like feel it. I can see it. I can taste it. It like, it, I have a whole experience with fragrance. So it's my thing. It's my thing. That's just for joy. That sounds like an LSD oh. trip. I'm involved in that. I was just telling you my experience. Not that I know anything about it. I'm just sure. saying from people that sure. tell me. Yeah. I want you to make sure I want you from the 60s or I'm, I'm aging you. No, you're not. I, oh, that's that's fantastic. That's great. Ooh, I didn't I did not say okay. it. So can we can we get back to on topic? Yes. Thank you very much. We can we can go back. So Brittany, you are at, you are known on Instagram as Dr. Fitbrit. So yeah. at Dr. Fitbrit. If you want to find her, she's got a huge following. How did that name come up? Did you come up with it or did somebody give it to you? It was college. So I played softball in college. Um, and eventually I stopped playing softball because I knew I wanted to go to medical school. Um, but when I stopped playing softball, I gained a little bit of weight. Uh, and so towards the end of like junior year, beginning of senior year, uh, I started to work out and I was always at the track. I was making my friends go with me. And so that's when they started calling me Dr. Fitbrit, kind of like, you know, almost as if I was uh, a drill sergeant, uh, but then <laughs> the name just kind of stuck. So yeah, um, yeah. Those things where it was like the beginning of like my own personal fitness journey, not as part of a right. team or as an athlete. Uh, and so the name, the nickname just stuck. Yeah. You know, I, I recall when I went to med school, um, I maybe it was an excuse, but I always uh, thought that I had you know, like enough time to work out in med school or maybe it was just an excuse. I don't know. So how did you how did you reconcile? Um, first of all, leaving um, softball, basically, because I'm thinking that you have, you know, you don't have enough time to to fit in your schedule. But how did you reconcile your lifestyle in terms of working out in med school and make it stick together up until now in residency? How did you not how did you make that work? I just did what I could. So some days that meant I had, you know, 45 minutes to an hour in the gym. Some days that meant that I had 10 minutes, but I always did something. Um, my mom, so it really, so at first fitness was about vanity, right? Because I said I gained some weight and I was like, I'm going to get <laughs> really yeah. but vanity. Um, but then it became more personal when my mom got sick and she lost her ability to move. Um, and so movement just became very important to me. Uh, beyond that, in the season of like taking care of my mom when she got sick, I also had a, a seven month old baby when I started med school. Uh, wow. so taking care of a lot of different people that 10 to 45 minutes, whatever it was on any given day was like a really important time for me. It just kind of decompressed. Um, and so uh, it became a little bit more personal as far as like my mental health. Uh, so I just decided to do something every day. Were you aware at that time? Was it a conscious decision to uh, lean into mental, lean into fitness for your mental health? Is it something that you realize while you're doing it that your psyche, your mental health was at a better space working out? Yeah. Eventually, I don't think in the, initially it wasn't. Initially it was just like, um, 
I have to do 10 minutes a day because I want to be here for like my children and their children. Watching my mom get sick was probably the moment where it became more than just like about how I look, right? Um, <laughs> then eventually I realized, oh, I really like the way this makes me feel. Uh, but initially it was more of like a deep kind of purpose. I want to see my kids and my grandkids get old. Uh, yeah. So I have to do something every day type of thing. What do you enjoy more right now? Do you enjoy being a fitness influencer on Instagram or do you enjoy being a psychiatry resident? I think it's so wild to hear myself referred to as a fitness influencer. <laughs> right? Well, that, uh, that's how we're going to go with That's what we're going to go with. I, it felt good. Thank you. Really <laughs> we're, all about, we're all about good feelings here. But, but uh, a fitness coach, I'll say coach yeah. is also feeding, right? I think both. I actually use a lot of the things that I talk about on social media as far as working out with my patients. Um, okay. Yeah. Uh, so I enjoy both. I will say that um, psychiatry can be hard, right? Some of the cases can be very difficult and like um, just emotionally challenging. And mm -hmm. so um, I appreciate both aspects in that I feel like my fitness journey kind of prepares me to deal with some of those more challenging aspects within my job in psychiatry. Um, and then fitness also allows me to kind of decompress from my job in psychiatry. So they kind of go hand in hand. I don't know that I enjoy, I don't think I could be one without the other, to be honest. Beautiful. Beautiful. Did you, how did you go from, what What did you do in, in, at Wayne State when you were playing softball, what were you studying? How did you decide to go from softball player, you know, student to deciding to go to medical school? Because it seems like from what I'm reading on your bio is there was a lot of steps mm -hmm. between the time that you went to medical school and the time that you were at Wayne State, you founded a business. So how did you decide to do that? Yeah, so I actually was at Howard when I played softball. I went to Howard for undergrad. Um, and I, what happened was organic chemistry, quite frankly. I had never had to like go to a teacher yeah. hours that much. I had never had to like get a tutor and put that much effort into anything. And softball didn't allow for that. And I knew there was also orgo too. And so I was like, well, I can't, I can't play this anymore. Um, right. because, um, I knew that I wanted to, at the time, I didn't know if I wanted to be a physician or go into research, but I knew either way that that class had to get knocked out. And um, so that was actually why. So thank you, Organic Chemistry, for ending. <laughs> Your softball career. Yeah. Organic Chemistry <laughs> ended a lot of things for a lot of people. I know. I mean, Organic Chemistry, when I, when I passed that class, I, I knew I was going to be a doctor after I passed Organic Chem. Before then, it was still up in the air if I was going to be a physician or not. Mm -hmm. I still don't know how I got through that and couldn't answer a single question now, but it happened, you know, we got through it, but that's why I stopped um, playing softball. And then I did a fellowship. So I did a postback fellowship at the National Cancer Institute in between um, undergrad and medical school. And in that time, I had a kid and other things happened and I needed money because I had gone from this person who had a job with a child to like, now I'm in med school paying to be here, right? I'm not getting paid. Right. And so that was kind of where the 
um, business aspect of it came in because I still, you know, had like things to do with bills to pay that exceeded what loans were going to be able to kind of accommodate with a child. Um, and so I built a gym in my basement. I started to um, train folks and it actually just became fun. It was like a um, we used to go down there and just have life talks and it was just kind of cool. It kind of is funny now thinking about it because at the time I didn't know that I wanted to go into psych. Um, but thinking about it now, it was kind of like therapy in my basement, uh, gym therapy. So it, it's kind of cool to see how it all came full circle. In, in yeah, yeah. yeah I, I love how, how you call it gym therapy. And then in residency, do, do you get any chance to actually implement that with, with your patient? When do you get to use that and then put that into your toolbox for, for patient care? I actually have a lot of patients who um, don't want to take medication for various reasons. And I also use it with patients who are taking medications, but um, could just use like different coping mechanisms, right? So, you know, one of the things that I like to tell patients to do is like body weight squats or push-ups, especially those who like have, um, you know, sometimes when people have like big reactions to things, bigger reactions than other people might have. Uh, mm -hmm. The things that I have found effective is like, okay, you got to do 10 push-ups when you feel like things are like about to boil over and it works. People will come in. I love and, it. You no, know, um, you know, maybe not 10 out of 10 times, but six out of 10 <laughs> times, doc, you know, that helped, that helped. So I do get to kind of um, use that in a space where people are either reluctant to take medications or um, need some different coping mechanisms, which is nice. Do you prescribe exercise? I, so unofficially, I, per the literature, sure, but um, it is something that, you know, within residency, no, because that's not, you know, how how it works. But one day in my, you know, private career and in my professional career, I plan to because I do think that it's useful. Because I actually do that. I, I tell people that they need to exercise because the, the research does show that exercise is equivalent to about 10 milligrams of Prozac. And so if you're going to exercise, you're going to make yourself feel better. Yeah, well, then I guess I do. I recommend it. I wouldn't say I, I prescribe it. Prescribe. Yeah, yeah. It's part of the recommendation you give people yeah. anyway. You know, you sleep well, you eat well, you exercise, you know, about three times a, a week, you know, 30 minutes a, a session and, you know, keep your, your blood flow going. Prevent dementia, for example, you know. Well, that's what I was going to ask you is how does fitness and exercise, how does fitness improve mental health? Do you mm -hmm. notice how does it improve yours? How does it improve mm -hmm. in general? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, it's kind of like you said, right? It's the equivalent of 10 milligrams of pros. I actually didn't know that, but you know, I know that it, it helps improve energy. I tell my, my patients and just my people in general all the time, it's like a pyramid scheme, right? Cause you need energy. Like you feel like you need energy to work out, but the working out gives you energy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It seems like whether you feel it or not, you if you do it, you will eventually feel more energized. Um, but it's a really bad pyramid scheme. But for the sake of just like you said, the way you feel, right? So having more energy. Um, I also talk about it in what feels like a little bit of a deeper sense to me, which is um, doing the things so that the gifts that you have, right? We all have these gifts that um, you know only we can give the world in one way or another, right? Um, and I look at fitness as something to help preserve that, right? Um, I think about when my mom passed away and the first time I ever participated in any type of like therapy or um, like sought out any mental health resources just for grief, right? Um, right. And I think 
Well, when I walked in, there was this, um, you know, young African-American physician who looked like me and it made it a lot easier to accept help, right? Um, for me personally, as somebody who was a little bit skeptical going in, right? Um, and if folks like that who represent a minority in whatever way, whether it is because you are a woman of color or, um, you know, somebody who played college softball or somebody who represents a group that people can identify with and therefore will accept help in a different way, um, you know, fitness can help to preserve that so that you can help more people. And so that's kind of how I remind myself when I wake up at 430 in the morning to go to the gym when I really want to sleep. That's how yeah. I um, you know, yeah. A little bit deeper than just you know how I feel today. It really is about how I feel over time, and what I'm able to give over time. Mm -hmm. I'm I'm glad you brought that up. Um, you know, uh, mentioning the African black black you know African American community or black people or people of color. Um, you know, it's well described in literature that we have work to do in terms of accepting um, that we need to be more open to mental health, and mental health care, and that we do need help. Have you been able to, um, you know, meet the people where they at, so to speak, with sports? Because you know, you know, black people in general are, you know, for the most part, active in sports and whatnot. So, have you been able to use sports to reach them at that at that level and introduce them mental health? You know, kind of like an indirect way, because that's what we try to do on this on, on with this podcast. We kind of use sports or news as a bait, and then we you you will be you've been caught and you talk about mental health regardless. So. With your experience with Black folks and people that not necessarily are, um, you know, have the interest into getting into some kind of therapy or mental health, have you been able to use sports and say, gotcha, we do mental health now? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think, yes. I mean, having a conversation, um, I'm going to quote my mother here because this is what she used to say. Please right? do. Please do. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care, right? And so finding any way to connect with people, uh, but sports is a good one, especially being a college athlete. It's like one of those things people want to know more about, right? Yeah. And then you can kind of, you know, navigate the windy road to ending up having conversations about a million other things. So I definitely do think um, sports and fitness is uh people love talking about working out even people who don't work out love talk they love to talk about working out because it's like they're like oh i need to work out right and so it's one of those topics that um you know it, it's easy to talk about with people um people always have questions people are always more curious and i do think it's a good segue into like you know well what do you do oh well why do you do it because uh, i think the why is really important um not so much the what so. Yeah, the why. I I love that answer. Love that answer. If you know, my can can you repeat that that um the say that your mother said again? So I kind of like I, I think it's very poignant. Yeah. People don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Um, and so finding anything in common, sports or you know whatever it is, it makes people yeah. feel there's like a human aspect to just having a conversation. Um, yeah. trying to help folks, you know. So I'm a college athlete too. So. You're a college athlete. I'm a college athlete. You know, that makes us a couple of college athletes cutting it up. That was very subtle, Dimitri. That was very subtle. That was very, very subtle. Good. Yeah, that's what we are. That's what we are. Um, before we get you out of here, I wanted to ask you one more thing. If you could give us 10 exercises that people have to do, I'm going to pin you down to, to 10. Give us your top 10 exercises that you think people should do or have to do yeah so i um 
So two things. I'm gonna plug myself here. So I actually have a fitness program um, that yep. pretty much consists okay. of the same 10 to 12 exercises in different orders uh, for different lengths of time. Because uh, it was the HIT workouts that I did, the high intensity interval training. Because I almost never had time to get to the gym sometimes, unless I went down to my basement, which also didn't always happen. And so um, the body weight workouts with bands and things like that just to get my heart rate up and then have a period of rest and then get my heart rate back up and then have a period of rest. So I think um, as far as what exercises are most important, I just want to say that like Top you don't 10. need a gym. You don't need a gym. You no. need your body, right? So I would say um, for me, it's jump roping because I hate running. I think um, I actually am very concerned for people who run regularly. And I I wonder why. I wonder why. I'm very curious about why they do that to themselves because I hate it. I absolutely hate it. Um, but <laughs> I, I do like these two. Uh, science science says it's bad for your knees. I just don't like it, right? Um, but I do like jump roping. Um, so I would say jump roping, squats, push ups. Um, I actually hate sit ups and crunches. I actually think planks are like the best thing you can do um, for your core. Um, lunges, particularly Bulgarian lunges, those are great. Stiff leg deadlifts, deadlifts. Um, if you have access to a gym, uh, lat pull downs, because I love a nice back, um, calf raises, because calves are often slept on and are very important to leg development. Um, and this is going to sound wild and it's not going to make sense, but toe spacers, like time regularly with toe spacers to make sure you have like a good position on the floor. Um, you can get them on Amazon for like six bucks. Um, but I actually have that in my exercise routine. Yeah. Yeah. So you, you mentioned your, you have a routine. Tell us a bit about, um, is it the business, right? You do, I think you have a mental, mental health, you know, background to it, but it is mostly uh, exercise routine and you coach people. And I think you also have some merchandise um, with your brand on it. So tell us a little bit more about, about your, uh, your business into, into um, fitness. Yeah. So the name of my business is Full Cut Fitness. Um, and the theme behind that is empty cups don't pour, uh, which I learned very well in med school, trying to take care of my mom and my baby. And then I had another baby and I was trying to be a med student and call my friends, clean my house, you know, all those things that kind of um, you pour out into a lot of people. But what is it that you give yourself to make sure you can continue to do that? Um, and so that's kind of what working out has always been for me. Um, empty and- cup don't pour. Oh, I love it. So the name of the business is Full Cup Fitness. This is actually one of my um, workout fits. So I have workout sets. I also have workout bands and jump ropes that can be purchased with the um, fitness program. Um, and the fitness program, you get access for three months. Um, and I can personalize it. So depending on how it works. So there's like a preset one that everybody gets. Um, but if the time intervals need to change or if, you know, some exercise, people will message me and be like, this hurts my knee. Um, I'll change it out for something else. Um, so it's still an interactive kind of semi-personal training type of experience. Um, and it's fun. I enjoy that. That I get a lot of joy out of that. Um, especially, you know, again, residency, we are, we're all physicians here. We are. It's, it can be, there are days. Yeah. Um, yeah. Only yeah. things that are, are for joy. And I encourage, that's the other part of the business too, is just helping people find their thing that's just for joy, right? What do you do? It's not because you are a doctor or whatever it's just for whoever you are so like for me it's perfume right that is my just for joy okay 
I don't care what is going on, how terrible my day is, at least I smell good, right? Um, is really, really important. Um, yeah. And it's kind of like, you know, when, when we talked in May and, you know, at my talk, um, finding that thing that gets you through no matter what. Um, and I told the story about uh, this picture that I have. It's uh, me and my son and my mom on his first birthday. And my mom died a couple of days after that. And when I look at that picture, the first thing that I notice is that my pants are too big. And I remember crying that morning on my son's birthday because those pants were too big. And I had just bought those pants because my other pants were too big. Right. And it was just such a reflection of how I hadn't been taking care of myself, how I hadn't been eating, how I hadn't been drinking water. I had not been doing my hair. Like there were just so many things in that picture that reflected somebody. Um that wasn't taking care of themselves. And when I look at that picture and I remember that season in my life, um, some days, you know, when I have a bad day, uh, the thing I tell myself is, well, you know what? At least my pants fit today, right? Because <laughs> I remember a time where um, I even, even when things were not going well, I wasn't taking care of myself. But now, even when things aren't going aren't going well, I remember to like take care of myself. And, and my pants fit and that's a win. And, right? and your pants fit. Yeah, I love it. <laughs> That would be completely understandable, though, if you were taking care of your mom who was sick. Sure, right? yeah. To not take care of yourself, but it's yeah. it's important to do that yeah. anyway. Um, yeah. So you found that out after that, yeah. once she died, and you looked picture. Yeah. Great. Yeah. So we're gonna get you out of here on this. So I wonder if you could help us out here. At the end of our show, we usually do a mental health tip of the day. Mm-hmm. So I was wondering if you could give us our mental health tip of the day. I mean, you've been dropping. I, them I, I pinned right. you down. I'm, I mean, I pinned you down. It's okay if you don't. No, we can no. do it. Why, why, why? But if you have a mental it, health tip of the day, she's been giving them like nonstop since we stopped talking what, to her. You know? So before you before you actually give it, let me, let me let's play the intro to this, and yeah. then uh, and then you can give us our mental health tip of the day. Day full of hiccups. Need a shake up. Listen up, it's the Psych Effect Podcast Mental Health Tip of the Day. All right, tip of the day. This time it's brought to you by Dr. Fitbrit. Brittany Stallworth, take it away. Mental health tip of the day is uh, have a have a I am statement that gets you through. Um, uh, so for me, right, uh, I am, I'm a physician. Right, but I'm also from Southwest Detroit, and I also just love trap music. I can't help it. Right? <laughs> I'm pulling up to my job to be professional, but I'm coming in with trap music. And there's a song by Juvenile. It's called High, right? And in it, uh, one of the, the lyrics is, "You're a paper chaser. You got your block on fire. You handle your biz to the moment you expire." And that's my I am statement. I'm a paper chaser. I got my block on fire. I handle my biz to the moment I expire. Um, it could be more formal than that. I am smart. I am whatever. But for me, it's the juvenile lyric. So have an I am statement that gets you through. I love it. You love trap music. Right. So I, I'm, I'm pretty sure Brittany would, would love um, the music that we've been playing in this show, right? I think that's oh, yeah. sharp. I, I, have you heard of, of somebody named uh, GM Cash or what's his name? Uh, G my cash, right? Oh, he's from Detroit. Yeah, there you go. Detroit stand up. Detroit stand up. There you go. I should have worn my bus. Stay over there. I got yeah, yeah. Montgomery, Montgomery Raw, stand up, Detroit. Yeah. There you go. Awesome. 
Thank you, Brittany, for coming on here and, and talking you, to us about your story and about fitness and mental health. And uh, we'll keep uh, we'll keep on following yeah. you on Instagram. It's at Dr. Fitbrit on Instagram, and we put our link tree uh, link tree link on our last Instagram post. So go check it out. Thank you, Brittany. Thank you. Thank you. Keep your cup full. Amen. The previous podcast represented the individual opinions of Dr. Dimitri Bick, Dr. Stefan de Graff, Dr. Suzanne Mignon, and the guests. It should not have been taken as medical advice or an establishment of standard of care. No guarantee is given regarding the accuracy of any statements. Please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.